going on? Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as is the case most times, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's going on, buddy? Not too much. Uh, I just have the television on. I'm just uh, watching, I believe, a Nick Nurse Fisherman's Friends uh, Fisherman's Friend commercial on mute. Could have been another commercial. What else is he plugging right now? Anything? I don't know. He was wearing his NN. He was wearing his NN hat in it. Um, of which I think there are only four in the world. Um, I, my, uh, my loyal assistant confirms it was a fisherman's friend, uh, advertisement. So. Wow. Walter is smarter than I gave him for. Yeah. Walter is, has picked up human language lately. Um, and we don't like to brag about it as a, as a household, but yeah, we talk to him now and he talks back. Nick Nurse is a very talented guy in a lot of ways. He's obviously an excellent NBA head coach. Uh, you know, he could jam on the guitar a little bit. Don't know that his future's in acting. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm hesitant to, to criticize here. I, I, there, I guess there is a little too much looking at the, directly into the camera. Uh, I, I feel a bit too seen, maybe. Look, um, as the lead in several high school plays, I'm yeah. in a position to criticize here. Yeah, yeah. Um, in in Walter news, he did learn, and I deserve no credit here. He did learn how to lie down on command this week. I mean, he usually he, he does he, he does it often not on command. Like that's was, mostly his thing. But uh, he learned to lie down for like treats and stuff. So big big moment. What a what a world that must be to live in where you have, oh no, I have to lie down and then I'm fed treats and this yeah. is something that I have to learn. Like, I mean, come on. It's, I've spent my, my years eating pizza in bed. It's, it's, yeah. it's like, Eric, basically, Eric. You're, basically the trick is be depressed. Eric, Eric, get in the fetal position and you'll get food. Yeah, come on. Exactly. Roll yeah. up into a little ball. Eric, be anxious. Yeah. You get a little treat. Yeah. We are at the beginning of trade deadline week, which means we're getting things like the New York Knicks don't want to move Marcus Morris. They no, prefer to absolutely him. not. Yes. But, yes. But if you happen to offer them a good package for this player, well, maybe things could change. They'll do it. They'll, like, don't, they will keep him. Do not make him keep him. They'll do it. They swear. For... 25 teams in the league, I actually accept a dare us, we'll keep, like, don't dare us, we'll keep him approach with expiring contracts. Um, Almost, like, very few teams are going to have cap space this summer, and there aren't a ton of good free agents to where holding bird rights on a guy, both to re-sign him and for sign-and-trade options, is actually going to be a pretty valuable thing. So if you're looking at, like, say you look at the Oklahoma City Thunder, and you are finding Danilo Gallinari attractive as a trade chip. And you're like, well, he's an expiring contract. Like, even though they're in a playoff spot, you know, they're thinking about the future. They should deal him now. Well, you know, they're going to have bird rights on him and good, no good teams are going to have cap space next summer. So maybe they're thinking is, well, we can keep him. We can get this playoff run. We can get Shea and, and Lou Dort some playoff experience. And then we'll be able to sign and trade him for an asset in the offseason because nobody has the money to sign this good player. Yeah, uh, you used to see way more sign-in trades, and then they definitely took a dip for a while. 
But they're back, baby. They're back, baby. So for anyone who's not familiar, and we're going to talk trade specifics in the second half of the podcast, but just because we mentioned it right now, the reason you saw sign and trades decrease for a long time is that players can no longer, players used to be able to get the full max from their original team in a sign and trade. So um, like when we talked about Siakam's extension, well, Siakam could have gotten a five-year max from the Raptors had he hit uh, free agency this summer and he could have got the 8% raises that Toronto only Toronto can offer instead of the 5% raises. Well, they took that out to where you can't get that extra year and those extra raises in a sign and trade. So now the primary value of a sign and trade is to help non uh, capped teams acquire players. Uh, you can make the salary math work instead of them having to clear the cap space. Last summer, we saw 10 of those such deals, including a couple double sign-in trades, which I don't think we'd seen since the Raptors' Hey Do Turkaloo trade. Uh, so that was a fun little throwback. The Steve Fruitman special. Go on. Yeah. And I think we'll see more this summer. That may or may not have an impact on the Toronto Raptors. We'll talk about that in the second half of the podcast. Right now, though, before we talk about ways to improve the Raptors we have to talk about the fact that some people might be surprised the Raptors are looking to improve because people damn it are still sleeping on the Raptors the Raptors are still in proven mode the Raptors are getting snubbed up and down Eric Terrence Davis not named to the Rising Stars challenge roster at All-Star Weekend I don't there have been some tough days in the history of the NBA Um, I would say that this is a top 10 biggest travesty in NBA history um yeah for sure I mean when a guy who's playing 18 minutes a game or or whatever it is uh is not among the top five American-born guards to come out in in either of the last two draft classes um I think you should get damned upset about it. it it's egregious I, so, I, I dare say, um, but as Fred Van Vliet, little... as Fred Van Vliet was saying, like he does join. There's just, there's just a great Raptors history of guys getting in quotes snubbed from the R- Rising Stars slash Rookie All Star Game. Go ahead. So let me throw this at you: the Raptors have had 15 participants in the Rising Stars game or the Rookie Sophomore Game or whatever it's called that year over their 25 seasons. 15 and 25 years doesn't sound that bad. An average team, assuming a normally distributed uh, roster balance for those teams, they would have had 20. So that there you're thinking, okay, well, like that's fewer, but they also got good recently, but also they were really bad for a long time and they had a disproportionate amount of lottery players on the rosters a lot of years. Uh, So from 2009 to 2018, the only appearances they had were DeMar DeRozan and Jonas Valanciunas with one each. Uh, none of the bench mob guys got it that year. As Fred Van Vliet pointed out last night, uh, welcome to the party, Terrence Davis, because no one in that locker room other than OG Ananobi has played in it. And OG Ananobi got to play in it in his sophomore year, which was not the year he should have been in the game. He should have been in it in his rookie year. Uh, he also had the benefit of qualifying as a member of the world roster instead of the United States roster. Uh, if you're looking at why Terrence Davis didn't make it, the guards ahead of him, John Morant, Tyler Hero, Devontae Graham, Kendrick Nunn, and Trey Young. He would have had a much easier time on the world roster where the guards are Nikhil Alexander-Walker, RJ Barrett, Luka Doncic, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Josh Okogie, and Svi Mihailik is not... I, I 
Still have not worked out the pronunciation of his name particularly well. And I'm sorry to my friend Zach, whose last name is almost the same. And I also can't pronounce it uh, properly. I think the solution here, other than Terrence Davis scoring 31 points every game because he's angry at the league's assistant coaches, is that he should um, reclassify as a Canadian now. Um, I mean, Matt Bonner did it or tried to tried do it to at do least. It. Got rejected. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I don't think the process can get done within a year. So I, I don't think ultimately this would be very helpful for him. Uh, but, you know, the more people that want to become Canadians, and I suggest there are ample reasons uh, lately to not want to be American, perhaps, uh, we'll welcome you as long as you're a half-decent human being uh, or, or very good at basketball, one or the other or both. The other solution, as I noted, is for Terrence Davis to just go off and score 31 points in games uh, to prove to everyone that's what he did Sunday against the Chicago Bulls, came off the bench, and in 28 minutes, scored 31 points on 12 of 15 shooting, 6 of 7 on threes, 1 of 2 at the line, added 4 rebounds and an assist, uh, was a plus 18, which was, you know, the bench drove a lot of the success in that game. F- only fair to mention, by the way, Patrick McCaw has not had a negative plus minus in his last 7 appearances, which spans 10 Raptors games. He is a plus 61 over those 7 games, uh, and the only game he hasn't been a plus was the one he only played like 4 seconds in before his face broke. So, <laughs> yeah. as... As good as Terrence Davis has been, uh, and he's been very good and remains better than Patrick McCaw, uh, McCaw has played a little better too and was like pretty aggressive in Sunday's game, and I was happy to see it. Um, He has, we've talked about this a bunch, but McCaw has not been nearly as bad as people would make it seem uh, of late as the season's gone along. He is still not Terrence Davis, though, who again scored 31 points in a game. That is tied for the sixth highest, uh, tied for the fifth highest point total ever by a Raptors rookie, uh, Vince Carter scored 31 twice. Vince Carter also scored 32. Eric, can you guess the? I tweeted two of them, so you could probably guess I, them. I, the I didn't see that. The top three rookie scoring oh. nights. The top three uh, rookie so, scoring nights in Raptors history. So Charlie Villanueva, uh, I know, is number one with 48. Uh, okay, who else? I assume Damon had one. Nope. No. What was his nope. high? 30. Uh, Damon's high was, yes, 30, which he did a couple times. Um, Norman almost, Powell also had 30 as a rookie, yeah. by the way. Don't think it could have been T-Mac. Uh, nope. I don't think he had a big enough role. You are thinking entirely the wrong area of the court that a Ooh, player would be doing their scoring from. Interesting. Uh, so we're looking at big men. We sure then, are. Uh, and we're looking at good big men, which the who the Raptors have drafted, which is uh, so Marcus Camby. Uh, yes, he is both of them. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say I'm not sure there's another good big man who the Raptors have. I mean, Jonas, but he wasn't doing that as a rookie. So, so uh, Camby uh, as a rookie had games of 37, 36, 29, 28, 27, and twenty six. Can you imagine? I, I mean, I, I still think it was a trade that worked out for both teams. But can you imagine the Marcus Camby Charles Oakley trade happening today? Like the Raptors would oh. get so pooped on. Uh, like uh, it would not make any sense, and it, it would it like 
they would be like the equivalent of any number of Sacramento Kings trades in the last decade. It would be like, yes. what are you doing? This makes no sense. By the way, those two games for Marcus Camby, his 37 and his 36 pointers, uh, were they remained his career highs for the rest of his career. Marcus Camby played 973 games in his career. And uh, yeah, those were it. The Too early, too late in his rookie season. Uh, they were also only five days apart, which must have been like... <laughs> In, like at the end of a of a at the end of the season for a young Raptors team that went thirty and fifty two, that must have been so exciting to just like it's the garbage part of the schedule. You're out of the playoff race, and your rookie big man goes for thirty six and thirty seven in the same week. Yeah, and he was traded after his second season. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, yeah. What a, he also, how- by the way, averaged fourteen point eight points as a rookie. Another number that he. Never touched the rest of his career. Also crazy that I listed like nine games of 26 or more points he had. And he came in at 15 points a game in 30 minutes. And uh, almost none of that. Crazy to think, too, that a high-scoring big man, he shot two of 14 on threes that year. Uh, wow. The league sure has changed, Blake. Anyway, sure. Marco, this we shouldn't be saying, like, yes, he never was like a great scorer at any point again. But hell of a player. Yeah, really good. He is uh, third all-time in defensive box plus minus. Oh. One of the best defenders ever by that stat. You know who else is one of the best defenders ever by that stat? And I come across it every so often, and it's always really funny to me, uh, just because of the Raptors connection, is Bo Outlaw is in the top 10 as well. <laughs> uh, and for anyone who doesn't, who hasn't read me use it in like four different Pascal Siakam columns over the last four years uh it was Dwayne Casey's player comp for him which at the time people were like what like that's just an energy guy and like in retrospect it seems like undershooting it but Bo Outlaw was like statistically one of the best defenders in the league and most versatile defenders in the league for like years he just happened to never average double digit points in a season uh Charlie Villanueva by the way scored 48 in that game and never again scored more than 38 he also didn't score he'd never had another 30 point game uh, as a Raptor. So Charlie Villanueva and Marcus Camby hold the high watermarks here for scoring by Raptors rookies, but they were not, those specific outbursts were not indicative of futures to come as scores or futures to come as Raptors. Um, Marcus Camby famously traded for Charles Oakley and Sean Marks, while Charlie Villanueva was famously traded for TJ Ford, as part of the uh, carousel of Jose Calderon beating guys out for starting jobs, that one was that one was a bit different. Let's be fair. Yeah, that was a de- that was a good trade. It was fine. Yeah, TJ My was really good, and then he got uh, he got those neck injuries, and Al those, Horford, those were bad. Yeah, and he dealt with spinal stenosis and stuff. Yeah. It was unfortunate. Yeah, he was fun. Uh, speaking... He was really fun when he was good. By the way, speaking of other guys, Jose Calderon beat out for. Starting positions. Jared Jack's been playing in the G League this year. I saw this. Like, yes. looks really good. So, hey, if you need a third point guard post deadline, I'd He's... still go Tyler Ennis, but Jared Jack's kicking it down there. Well, Jared Jack will give you some good ass quotes, so we must yeah. consider that. Selfishly, so I mentioned I mentioned him as a candidate in my. So I had a trade piece come out today that was. Um, it wasn't dissimilar from the all your trade ideas are bad mailbag, but it tried to come at some of the potential targets from a different perspective, which was what are the Raptors areas of weakness and how might they solve that? Um, not only did I work in a Jarrett Jack reference in the third point guard section for almost strictly the purposes of quotes, 
I also suggested the Hawks should buy out Evan Turner just so we can get the quotes for that too. Uh, yeah. He, Hawks bio candidates great. joining the Raptors has worked out really well. <laughs> yeah, well the, they have never not won the championship when getting one. Is that true? Uh, have they got? I'm not 100 percent sure. I'd have to go back, but uh, <laughs> yeah. the Raptors don't have a rich of history one. of bio editions. So yeah, yeah, it's probably, probably true. true. Yeah. Yes. All of this is to say that we would hope Terrence Davis's 31 points as a rookie are more the Vince Carter type. I mean, not to say he's going to be Vince Carter, but in terms of it is indicative of future potential and not a rookie on a bad team blip because the Raptors are decidedly not bad. That's that's kind of Terrence Davis's biggest case as a rising star snub is that he doesn't necessarily have the counting stats. Um, he has played in every game, but he only averages 17 minutes, 7.7 points, 3.4 rebounds, 1.8 assists, but he's helping drive winning on a very, very good team and a surprisingly good team. That's his case there. He didn't make it though, so we don't need to talk about it that much anymore. My question, Eric, is, you know, Nick Nurse kind of took a shot at him, at himself uh, post game on Sunday and said, well, there are games like this about Terrence Davis. And then he looks at the games where he only plays Terrence Davis six minutes. And he's like, what the hell am I doing? Uh, Norman Powell figures to be out for a little bit with a fractured ring finger. Um, Terrence Davis has an opportunity here to, I don't think jump Norman Powell's role because Norman Powell was playing so well offensively before he got hurt. But I think that this is a window where him and Patrick McCarr are both going to see pretty regular run. And I think Terrence Davis is going to have the 20 minutes a game to kind of continue to make his case that he should be the fourth guard or, you know, fourth wing, depending on how you want to describe that, that two position uh, in the rotation. What are you looking for? And more importantly, what do you think Nick Nurse is looking for these next couple of weeks for us to finally stop doing the Terrence Davis is six minutes, then he's 30 minutes, he's not playing, and then he's a crucial part. What does Davis need to do um, to lock this in where he's, you know, the eighth or ninth man moving forward and there aren't questions about it? Well, I mean, first of all, we have to point out that like him and McCaw are not totally different players, but their strengths and especially their strengths in Nick Nurse's eyes are different. Uh, like they can both create, but Nick Nurse prefers the sort of more handy, you know, bring the ball up the court and, and you know, allow the play to develop uh, in Patrick McCaw's hand style versus, you know, what are more like actions, pick and roll actions, uh, you know, aggressive actions, which I think is why we're more drawn to uh, we being you and I, you and me, but also like just the greater fan base in general, because it just looks like he's doing more. Uh, and I don't think they're going to ask Terrence or Terrence Davis, I almost said Terrence Ross, to just dribble at the top of the key and wait for Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry to come off screens that much. I don't think that's what they expect him of that at this stage. What are, the biggest area I think he can help himself is on defensive end. He's, I think in both of the last two games, he's uh, bitten on pump fakes and, and given uh, uh, opposition the opposition some easy free throws uh, near the end of the clock. Got to clean that up. Uh, his team defense, even his one-on-one -on -one defense can, uh, like in everything, he's a bit over eager. And uh, that's what you expect from rookies. Uh, there's a little, a bit, little bit of like, you know, the dog chasing the ball. Like <laughs> you see ball, go chase it. And 
he has to be able to, you know, fight those urges. And I think more than the scoring, and Fred Van Vliet pointed out that he has been sort of an all or nothing type scorer. Like he'll have these huge games, but then he'll have, you know, one for sixes where he doesn't really find his way into the game. More than that, if he finds a way to defensive consistency, that will go a long way in in hammering that role home. Eric, I agree. Oh. That's the That's uh, nice. rare on this That's podcast, nice. I realize. No, I know. That's, rare on this. That's why we call ourselves the uh, disagreeablists. Yes. Uh, I Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think everyone knows at this point we're both pretty fond of Terrence Davis as a player, and we've tried to contextualize that little bit of nuance of, like, why doesn't the exciting rookie get the leash that, you know, an exciting rookie would get on any other team? And it's part of it is that the Raptors are 36 and 14 and they're fighting for second in the East and they uh, they intend to make noise in the playoffs, I think. So, you know, and I don't think it hurts necessarily. Like, I don't think it's that big a deal for a rookie to change, the, have their role change a little bit over the course of the season. And, um, you know, there's a lot of learning to do there and there's... I don't think Terrence Davis is ever going to be the type of person or player who gets complacent with a role or anything like that. But I don't think it's, uh, you know, I don't think it's like this, like people used to get so, so upset whenever um, Terrence Ross or Jonas Valanciunas' minutes were down or whatever. It's like, it's killing their development. It's like, no, I think in this case, you know, being the eighth to 10th man and occasionally seeing big minutes on one of the best teams in the league is pretty good development situation. As much as selfishly, I would have loved some Terrence Davis 905 time this year. This is just fine. Yeah. Um, this is just fine. Yeah, he's he's a lot of fun. Like sure um, is. and he's such a he's he's a sweetheart. Yeah. I like <laughs> I, I think everyone really so, likes so him. Earnest. So, so yeah. Nice. By the way, uh hidden not hidden, but probably uncovered in Terrence Davis's postgame and like a lot of the bench celebrations lately and some uh in the locker room stuff I've noticed. Dewan Hernandez, while that ankle has taken way longer than expected to heal, and he still hasn't got the development time he needs with the 905, really starting to come out of his shell as a personality. I uh, like it. Yeah, that's big for you. Um, yeah, he was interviewing Terrence Davis last night and like actually did a pretty good job asking good questions. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. Uh, we'd all like to see him back on the court. Uh, it sucks to have your rookie year be somewhat of a lost year, and that Appears to be the way this is going, but uh, never hurts to uh, endear yourself to your teammates. And yeah, and I think yeah, and I think that that probably goes two ways. Where it's nice to have that kind of energy and camaraderie at the end of your bench uh, and on, you know, just around the team in general. But it also, I'm imagining, helps him get through what's been a really frustrating stretch like this this ankle was not supposed to keep him out this long uh, he was in the walking boot and then out of it and then back in to try to help with the healing at this point he has played 11 NBA minutes this year and he's only played nine games in the G League um, not exactly running out of time in the G League but the 905 uh, only have 19 games left so um, he's certainly not going to get yeah. even a even a half season there it looks like the 905 you... could sorry go ahead you would know more, but he told me his ankle was improving yesterday, so hopefully... He had told that... me that once before, though, too, and then was back in the walking boot later. Yeah. So, I don't know that he's the most trusted source on this. I do know, though, that, like, 
the 905 did expect to have him back like before this point. Like they were, you know, they ended up making a move, a trade. They traded Justin Anderson for Henry Ellenson to get some front court help because like obviously Dewan had been a big part of their plans on paper for this year. Uh, and they had to go a really long time without him. They have started the show signs of life, by the way, but I think that they're probably too far back to uh, be thinking playoffs this year. They're 13 and 18, and there are only 19 games left. Not sure it's going to happen for them. Unless they send Terrence Davis down, because <laughs> Terrence Davis, the way he's playing right now, would have an absolutely Pascal Siakam, Norman Powell, Fred Van Vliet impact on a, on a G League team, because he's really good. He is not, however, a rising star, so that means he won't be joining Pascal Siakam as an all-star starter in Chicago. Kyle Lowry as an all-star reserve. As we talked about last week, we kind of expected it to go that way. And you had that great piece uh, featuring an awesome Evan Turner quote on uh, why Kyle Lowry is maybe a little un- underappreciated. The coaches voted him in. He's plenty appreciated. And then the Raptors, because of this monster winning streak, uh, locked up the best, the second best record in the East Uh at the, the cutoff date, which was yesterday. And because Mike Budenholzer coached the team last year, he's ineligible this year. So Nick Nurse and his staff will coach Team Giannis. Eric, we could, you know, it, it, this is a, it's always an interesting thing where like a couple years ago, Raptors making the All-Star game and coaches going to the All-Star game was like such a huge deal that I felt a lot of urgency to write about and contextualize. And now it's just like, yeah, this is Lowry's sixth time in a row going. It's yeah. uh, it's the second time in three years, I think, that the Raptors have sent the coaching staff. Not that right. it's not fun and not interesting. And obviously, I wrote a Pascal All-Star thing, and you wrote things about Kyle Lowry and Nick Nurse for the All-Star game. But it it as they say, it hits a little different in like year seven or eight of the franchise being good. Uh, yes, and these are this is the price you pay when you become Spurs East, right? Like, just it gets old, uh, but. I mean, it is a different coaching staff, with the exception of, of Nick Nurse. So that'll be cool for him. Uh, and given the arc of Lowry's career and the way in which he took a backseat and then sort of put them on their shoulders for a while this year, his his path to a sixth straight All Star appearance, uh, setting the franchise record for appearances, is uh, is different than it's been each. Each one's a little different, is what I'm trying to say, and and have said literally a few times now. Uh, and it's it's cool, yeah. It's not like the, you know, I think we all remember when Demar Derozan was the Raptors' first All Star since Chris Bosh left, and you know we were there was like outrage over Joe Johnson beating out Lowry uh, for <laughs> that final spot. Uh, so we're not there anymore. That's not the perfect cap on that, yeah. though, is going to be like Kyle Lowry. Not that I think he's ever going to decline at this rate, but I can <laughs> absolutely see Kyle Lowry having only an OK case next year and getting his seventh all star appearance yeah. over some other young up and coming guard. It'd be very tidy bookend for the Lowry all star experience. Yeah, uh, the thing is, like seven and, and Joe Johnson's very was a very good player, but seven time all star Kyle Lowry isn't doesn't sound like quite as sarcastic as seven-time All-Star Joe Johnson because Johnson's main contribution has was like points. Like he was he was a scorer, so it was easy to point at what he d- didn't do, which is he was a fine defender, but not like this 
you know, really impacts winning in, in ways that, you know, nerds love. Uh, you could sort of talk yourself into, and I don't, I'm not saying this was the case, but you could talk yourself into the idea that he was more of an empty calorie all-star than Kyle Lowry would be as seven-time all-star Kyle Lowry. So it wouldn't be right on brand, but it would be very close. And just the chance to say uh, seven-time all-star Kyle Lowry would be fun, given the way uh, Raptors fans hated seven-time all-star Joe Johnson at the time. So Joe Johnson is known primarily as a scorer, as you said. Kyle Lowry has scored 0.1 more points per 36 minutes than Joe Johnson. In his career? career. Take that, Joe Johnson. Yeah. Wow. Joe Johnson has him slightly beat on a per-possession basis, just because Lowry's played in a higher-paced era. But Lowry has scored more efficiently at about the same volume and is obviously uh, a better playmaker and I think has had a longer and more sustained and higher defensive peak as well. I like Joe Johnson. But the Armadillo Cowboy, Kyle Lowry is not. Yeah, I said that kind of backwards. Kyle Lowry is... The Armadillo Cowboy is not Kyle Lowry, is uh, is what I was going for there. So, uh, I don't think we need to discuss the All-Star stuff too, too much. Terrence Davis is a snub. We already covered uh, everyone who is going. And again, the Raptors get to send their coaching staff because they're second in the East. And the reason they're second in the East is because they have won infinity games in a row. They've won 11 straight, tying a franchise record that they'd done twice before. They are one game away from fulfilling Alex Wong's prophecy. More to the bigger picture point, they are now two games up on the three seed. We've talked a lot about just how valuable that two seed is, given the dramatic drop-off in quality of team after number six in the East. Uh, I would say Boston, Miami, Indiana, and Philly all project as very difficult playoff matchups that you want to avoid in round one. Even if you were to slide to three or four and have home court advantage, I don't know that I don't know that any of the teams two through six would be heavily favored against each other. I think they're all going to be you know, at most 55-45 kind of series. Maybe people are a little less high on Indiana than I am, but I like them a lot, and Victor Oladipo's back, and he's tons of fun. The drop-off is dramatic when you get down to Brooklyn, Orlando, Chicago, uh, who are really, I think, the only three teams kind of in the mix there. We just saw what a thinned-out Chicago team looks like on a Sunday afternoon, and it's not super pretty. Eric, I don't think either of us has interest in four or five more Orlando Magic games, but that might be the way it's heading. And and then the Brooklyn Nets are, you know, they really haven't figured out the Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert mix there. Uh, There's the weird center situation. It sounds like they might be a team that are active at the trade deadline, but I would think that they operate with, you know, an eye on 2020, 2021 when Kevin Durant would ostensibly be back for them. Uh, So it's good that the Raptors have won 11 in a row tying this franchise record because that two seed is going to be very important. Eric, my question to you on Wednesday at Scotiabank arena, those Indiana Pacers will visit the Raptors have a chance to set a franchise record winning streak. Fred Van Vliet was very clear the other day that he does not care about tying a winning streak, but if they break it, maybe he'll care a little bit. Do they break the franchise record winning streak on Wednesday against the Pacers? Um, I think so. I think so. Um, not obviously not a gimme, not having Powell or Gasol against the first, you know, good opponent that they've played in, in a very long time. I mean, the Spurs 
the Spurs are dangerous too. I don't want to call them bad, but you know. yeah. And the Sixers, even without Embiid, yeah. are like competitive. They played Oklahoma City on the road to start this win streak. Yeah. They've had a couple okay ones, but it's been a lot of teams like the Cavs, Pistons, and Hawks. Yeah, um, I think they're going to do it. Uh, you know, it, it's hard not to pick the Raptors to win a game at home uh, against you know equal or inferior competition, even though they have exactly equal 18 and 7 records right now at home and away uh third best road record in the league i think they also have the third best record in the league which they sure do which, which they also have be. um i think it's nathan walker has a predictive win percentage metric that tries to take into account strength of schedule and, and injuries and things like that and they're third by that and that is usually a pretty good predictor of future success it obviously can't capture you know what the team will look like when fully healthy if fully healthy which seems like an enormous if at this point um but yeah they're they're pretty good shape there i think yeah i think they'll get it done uh who am i to doubt the uh predictive powers of alex wong nobody i'm nobody to do that uh it just seems like it must come true at this point although i mean i think a few times two or three times they've gotten uh They've got stuck at 11? How many they times? have gotten stuck at 11 twice. Okay. In 2016, uh, right around this time, actually, uh, 2015-16 season, on February 1st, they lost in Denver to lose their 11-game winning streak. They got blown out by 19. Uh, however, they then won three more games after that. So they had a little 14-15 stretch going, and that was a tough, tough road trip. They were on their wins in Phoenix and Portland and... Detroit, who we know road games in Detroit are always so tough on the Raptors. Injury wise, yes. Fan base wise, no. Uh, so the that Denver was ama- that broken. was amazing. By the way, that was my first one of those I've been at. Like I think since this whole, I don't know. I must have been at one in Auburn Hills. So that was kind of like that. That crowd was bonkers. It was really good. So then we look at 2017-18. The Raptors had. A six-game winning streak, lost a game, railed off another six-game winning streak, then had another five-game winning streak and a seven-game winning streak, lost one game, and then tore off an 11-game winning streak. So they had won 18 of their last 19 and 11 in a row. Their only loss in that stretch was an overtime loss to the Bucks, And then on March 18th, the Thunder came into town and beat them. So uh, the Nuggets and Thunder are the two teams to end the Raptors' 11-game winning streaks. It's really hard to win 12 straight games. Uh, yeah. I mean, you just look at, like, the nightly schedules and, and look at the bad teams beating the good teams. Like, it happens almost every night. Like, that, that happens. Like, there's one result that shouldn't happen or two results that shouldn't happen. I mean, this is the reason why the Raptors are where they are. They largely don't cough up games they shouldn't cough up and and we can think of examples where that has been the case although they've generally been less healthy when when they have lost those games i'm thinking of the the spurs game at home and the portland game at home uh by the way damian lillard right now oh my god crazy oh my god i was watching that that the lakers game and like and it's and I forgot what the game was before that he was like that when like everybody was injured except for him. I don't even know what you do with that guy. Like you're just giving up wide, wide, wide open threes if you're doubling him. He's been awesome, and he's uh, pulling up from like forty feet. Yeah, exactly. Like the top of the logo. Like it's how do you do this? Like what what do you do? 
it's it's great. Uh, it is entertaining as heck. I would say um, it sure is. He's the best man. Yeah, uh, he's a he's a, he's they've they've always held this interesting spot where like I've never really been a believer in um, the Blazers in general, like even in their better years. And I feel a little bit bad about that because they felt like almost a sister franchise to the Raptors during mm-hmm. the like the Lowry. DeRozan years and the the Dame CJ years, even though the Raptors were, um, you know, a little better and, and went a little further, and were but, a little uh, more easternly based. Let's yes be fair. Yes, that's also true. That's also true. Um, but I've always, you know, Dame. I think when he's on, is a top five most entertaining player in basketball. And I think like he's been first team All NBA before. I think at least once. So that guy's good. But this is. This is otherworldly stuff. Here's what I'll throw out there. Damian Lillard, come on Columbia House Party and talk to us about your favorite rap albums and your inspiration for the Dame Dalla album. Uh, I'm sure Can't I'll, hurt, I'm right? sure I'll hear this. Uh, just, you know, Slack. Jason. They're also not here again this year. Yeah. So I don't know. Whatever. You go, you'll make, NBA finals. You'll get them. On, you can get them on the phone. No, like if it's Damian Lillard, that would that would move the needle enough for you guys to make some tech stuff happen yeah we'll figure it out um okay so the toronto raptors according to eric green eric green guaranteeing the raptors set a franchise record did do that (laughs) uh the raptors will then play the indiana pacers again in indiana little skeptical they can take both halves of that home and home but who knows because in between those two games is the nba trade deadline both of those teams could look dramatically different between wednesday and friday Eric, we've, from a written perspective, you know, we've done most of what we can, I think, to prep for the trade deadline. You did your trade tiers, which was a great idea. Um, I did my annual, all your trade ideas are bad mailbag and the the primer. And then I had a piece today kind of looking at areas of weakness they could shore up. For those who haven't read that stuff yet, first of all, do it and go to the athletic, theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six at theathletic.com slash we the six and get 40% off a subscription right now. And then you can read all that trade deadline stuff, which we can't really compress into 10 minutes on the podcast. Big picture takeaway though, Eric, uh, not to speak for you, but I think we're both thinking that maybe the deadline goes by without the Raptors making a move. Uh, that would be my prediction. Uh, by move, I mean like a, uh, a rotation altering move that like yes. oh yeah other, a nando uh, decolo for austin day is on the table i mean less so because brian colangelo isn't the gm uh masai ujiri and his time has shown has shown less inclination to do stuff like that on, on the deadline but primos brazich juan dixon let's go yeah uh this was when i was on no dunks we were doing this uh, we were just naming all the uh patty o'brien another one Boy, do I have a article coming this week for people who like that kind of nonsense. Uh, Teaser there. Yeah. I won't get more specific than yeah. that. But. There still will be. I also have a general trade deadline column coming uh, on Tuesday. So I, I'm going... And people like trade talk. Yeah. It's, it turns out uh, that is... You can find evidence of that if you uh, if you are searching for said evidence. Um, I mean, we know the deal. There are a lot of... There, there are too many teams right now that can convince themselves that they can make the playoffs 
and can convince themselves that they should be trying to make the playoffs. Like, especially in the Western Conference, like a lot of those teams fighting for the eighth seed either have like a long history and take pride in in being in the playoffs. And I'm thinking of like the San Antonio's and the Portland's of the world or haven't been in the playoffs for so long that, uh, that they feel incentivized to do that uh, because just punting on a chance would be demoralizing and all of that. So I think really, you know, Minnesota and, and Golden State, and maybe Sacramento are your sellers there in the Western Conference. Uh, there are more in the East, certainly, but the they just East, don't have good players. They they lack good players. They're bad teams in the Eastern Conference. Why do you think they're not <laughs> they're not doing well? If they were if they were good teams, I mean, there are already bad teams in the Eastern Conference who are in playoff position. So <laughs> the ones that. <laughs> that uh, aren't in playoff position obviously are not uh uh going to be stacked with talent uh i mean there's a if piece... they were they'd be in the playoffs yes there's a piece here or there like i don't know you might feel some kind of way about uh D- about denzel valentine i don't feel some kind of way about D- denzel valentine but i like him fine i don't yeah, think he'd yeah. be in the raptors rotation but um Quick break, a quick, quick tangent. I just uh, opened John Schumann's power rankings because um, I can multitask like that. Or arguably, I cannot multitask like that. Kyle Lowry was a plus 67 in four games this week to lead the league. Um, it's a lot of plus. Yeah. Uh, can you guess who the, the minus was? He was a Raptors opponent last night. Um, Zach Levine? Chandler Hutchison, minus 53. Um, but he had such a good game, not against the Raptors, but earlier in the week. No. It was the Chandler Hutchison game. Yeah, yes. What did he do? I, I missed this. I missed the Chandler. He just had a career high um, and had a, a couple cool dunks. Good, uh, A good game for the player who most sounds like a lacrosse player in the NBA. Um, he, I don't think he has any background as a lacrosse player. So there's that aspect of why the Raptors won't make a trade, is there aren't many, not even natural trade partners, just trade partners period uh uh it, it's going to be a seller's market because there are so few sellers with good stuff to sell um i think the raptors top 7 players are you know with the exception of maybe og ananobi are having years that would make you blanch at trading them with the idea that you can get better without getting like a top tier player back in return and those top tier players usually cost money and the guys who make money on this team and the Raptors would need to match money in in almost any very meaningful I mean in any trade but in in a meaningful trade there's more money to match uh those players are good like Norm Powell's in the 12 million neighborhood Serge Ibaka's in the 22 million neighborhood they're both having their best years as Raptors ever and whether you think they're good bets to continue that for the rest of the year and into the future, uh, more of a concern with Powell than with Ibaka. Uh, they're key pieces to what the Raptors are doing, and it would feel strange coming off of last year, a championship year, which they were both involved in, uh, Ibaka more than Powell, but 
still both and, and you know considering the years they're having like moving those guys and upgrade and like getting like a necessary like a definite upgrade like i'm not sure it's so easy to do that okay can i throw some names at you rapid fire you can and i mean rapid fire just tell me your quick feelings on them as a potential addition or whatever yeah uh all right you ready yeah it's one more uh he's your eighth or ninth man so fine but i i like i'm not i'm not moved i am unmoved i'm unmoved this is the thing that you run into a lot right is like the Raptors could probably, we talk about the seven-man rotation that's locked in, and most of us, I think, feel comfortable with Terrence Davis or look at matchups for Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Chris Boucher. It's like, okay, you can get your eighth man there, um, you know, McCaw's fine in a 9-10 role, things like that. To upgrade that spot, though, is going to require sending someone out and probably attaching a pick, and while 2020 picks don't have maybe a ton of value, especially when you're a team that identifies and develops talent as well as the Raptors... Uh, it's still a big asset to attach a thing. Yeah, but if you, if you, the, the, and we'll get back to the rapid fire, but if you can identify talent as well as the Raptors can, and we've seen that with the undrafted guys, think what you can do when there's more talent available to you. Like Pascal Siakam, maybe, <laughs> who was a first round pick, by the way. So that's like, uh, you know, I would, I'm obviously not opposed to them trading their first round pick if the right deal comes along, which again, I'm skeptical, but, I don't think that argument actually makes logical sense. Uh, anyway, let's, let's continue. I mean, I think it makes sense in that there's probably some arbitrage to be had in that the Raptors... Arbitrage! Can, yeah, like, it's just like, if thing, if assets on the market have different values to different people, there's some opportunity there. Uh, yes. Where, you know, a high second might be as valuable to the Raptors as a low first. Or, hey, maybe even more valuable because of what you can do contractually. Anyway... Uh, let's throw some more names at you. Uh, my favorite, what the one half of my favorite tag team ever, Chris Dunn. <laughs> I know that now he's hurt. It's uh, it's less of a thing. But. Uh, I would like him as a third point guard option. He's an awesome defensive player. Uh, so if they could get him for not much, I'd be for it. Can't remember if I've said this on the podcast or kept it to the DMs because it's kind of mean. But Chris Dunn is what Nick Nurse thinks Patrick Bacaw is defensively. <laughs> That's very good. All right. Uh, Bobbert Covington? Uh, he would be a slight upgrade on OGN and OB right now, I would say. And I also think the Raptors would definitely be outbid for him. I think that's probably the case. Uh, even like, even if you were willing to trade Norman Powell as an asset and he weren't hurt, um, it's hard. you got to get a third team in there just given the way the Wolves are structured. Um, he's really good, though. I think if you're a Raptor fan, you're hoping that Covington stays in the Western Conference because if one of those East competitors adds him, that's a really nice addition. He is tremendous defensively. Yeah. And he can shoot it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like every every player available, I'm just sort of thinking Philly, even though they don't have a lot of matching salary. Um, and they're not going to put Tybal in a deal, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, they already did that with Landry Shamit, and look at how that's turned out. Whoops. He could look, he would look real good on that team. Yeah, but who needs that? Anyway. Uh, another guy they'll be outbid for if he actually hits the market, but let's get your thoughts quickly. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Uh, yeah, he'd be good. Is he better than Norm? Yes. Okay. I'm confident saying that. 
Um, do you want to no trade disrespect no- to Norm? Do you want to trade really good. Norm in a first for him? Earlier in the year, I probably would have pulled the trigger on that. Maybe less so now, not to buy into small-ish samples, but yeah. there's also you know then you got to factor in the the championship stuff and the chemistry stuff. So yeah, uh, so <sighs> yeah, I honestly I haven't seen that much Kings basketball. I know you and your roommate uh, love. I don't know if you love the Kings. You've watched a bit of Kings. They were in our top ten for league pass rankings. Yeah, you guys, you guys are something. Um, Looking pretty validated on the Grizzlies being high on that list, though. Yeah, uh, muzzle people. People you. thought we were idiots. Uh, we are idiots, but but not in this specific case. Uh, but as you said, yes, they will be like Covington and Bogdanovich are two of the guys who could like they could be the two biggest names to move. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying they will be, but they could be. Yeah, it sounds like Drew Holiday maybe doesn't want to move, and David. At least publicly, David Griffin has said that, you know, they're not super motivated to be sellers unless guys want out or whatever. So um, also hard to make the make that one work a little bit for Toronto. I love Drew Holiday, though. Uh, um, so do I. So I, want to throw it um, I think he'd be really fascinating here. He he isn't having the best offensive year. He is a defensive terror. And the idea of having him, Fred and Kyle um, is really delightful i don't think it can happen i'm i should no it could happen uh but i don't think it will just based on the intel we've been hearing all right two more for you uh kawhi leonard um i mean do you have to give up og apparently history would tell us no (laughs) do you have to give Uh, up do you have to give up pascal History would also tell us no. Uh, I'd say you pull the trigger then. Uh, as yeah. much as it would pain me to give up on uh, on Surge, uh, yeah, you do it. Even if you have to attach a low first round pick that could become Keldon Johnson. Yeah, and I mean, Even if you have to do it, there is a risk because he only has one more year after this one left on his contract before he <laughs> could opt out. So I don't know if the Raptors like would he actually stay in Toronto. I don't know. Okay. We'll find out yeah. in 2021. Uh, all right, last one. Uh, and this one's in here just for you because I don't think it's possible. But John Henson. Uh, yes. A million times, yes. The light that never goes out. <laughs> uh, you didn't ask me about Gallinari. I thought you'd ask me about Gallinari. Oh, yeah. I just I wrote about him a bunch today. Yeah. So it was kind of not in my head. Danilo Gallinari. Uh, I think he's sort of... He would hamstring what they do defensively a bit, but uh, I'd be interested. Just throw a zone at it. (laughs) You said that in the way, uh, what, Uh, in Portlandia when they're like, put a bird on it. Uh, That's very much like throw a zone at it for Nick Nurse. Um, Sure. Yeah, we'll just throw a zone at it. Yeah. It'll work. Uh, I, you know, Gallinari, how much does he make? You would know this, probably. Uh, I got to double check. I think enough that you guys send Sergio. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm going to write this later, so I don't want to talk about it too much. Although, like, uh, there's not always crossover on who's listening and who's reading. Um, emotionally, I would really like to see the top seven players stay the top seven players. 
Yeah, I think most people are probably with you. And the thesis? No, okay, I'll just keep it there. Oh, I'm just going to stop okay. there. Yeah, without, save it for yeah, the article. Yeah. Um, if people want to check it out, they can go to theathletic.com slash we the six. Yeah. Um, I have thoughts on this, and but the emotional aspect of having them all make this run together, uh, I think, is part of a valid reason why I believe what I believe about the trade deadline and the Toronto Raptors. There you go. All right. I think we can wrap it up there. We went a little long and there's lots of written content for people to check out too. Uh, we will be back. If the Raptors make a trade, uh, I'd imagine we do a rush one of these, the night of the trade deadline for Friday morning. We'll try. Although I have, I have a flight that evening. So who knows? Well, I could do it without you. No, you can't. You only, I can do podcasts without, uh, without you. Look, when you left, I got Jama. When I left, you got Waz. I think I'm way ahead of you here. <laughs> um, and listen, I don't know. I, I think this person is, is listening. Uh, somebody met Waz in a bar in Cleveland and referred to and noticed and noted him as the unreasonablest. First of all, thank you for listening to the podcast. Second of all, that's hilarious. But this will go to Waz's head. Um, so you're making him feel good, which is antithetical to our podcast. So just, just watch out. Just don't, the was. Don't feed the was. Yeah. The, the dog will eat. The dog will eat the trash. He will just take any bit of attention, good or bad, and allow it to fulfill, uh, some part of his soul. And we don't want that. Sure. You don't want that. I don't really care that much. No. I don't I think about Waz this much. Yeah. I like Waz. Good guy. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we will maybe talk to you post-trade deadline if the Raptors make a material move. Otherwise, uh, sometime next week as we head into the Ulster break. The Raptors have five games left before the break. Indiana on Wednesday. Toronto at Indiana on Friday. Then they get the Nets and the Timberwolves. A lot of uh, those sure are teams. Yeah. Oh, boy. And then the Nets once more before the trade deadline. So we'll talk to you sometime uh, post de- or and then the also break, rather. We'll talk to you sometime post deadline, whether there's uh, an extra game after that. We'll see. Eric, thanks so much, man. Blake, take it sleazy. See ya. <laughs>